Verse 15, uh, Joshua is speaking here. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God, gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Together, verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the ways wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Joshua said in verse 15, he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The title of the message this morning is this, Parenting that Pleases the Lord. We want to be parents that do this duty and this task in a way where God looks down from heaven and He smiles on how we do it, our methods and our heart behind it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for the families that have small children and then, Lord, those that we were able to pray with today. Lord, we pray that the sermon today would challenge and encourage them. And, Lord, get them pointed in the right direction. Lord, may they take these truths to heart, not because they're coming from me, but, Lord, because they're coming from the Bible and they're coming from you. May we value your word. May we cherish your word. May we set our life's compass by your word. Give us great discernment and listening ears today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. To all the moms and dads who are dedicating their babies today, let me just say how happy I am uh, you have chosen to dedicate your child to loving the Lord. I am thrilled for you. It bears saying that while this action shows great intention, it must be followed up with you dedicating yourself to godly habits that will lead your children to a place where they will want to live for God. There are two characters in the Old Testament who were just, just, just gigantic, uh, larger-than-life type personalities in the Scripture. One of them is Moses. And if you look at Moses, you see that he was raised in a godless pagan temple by Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter. He was given the finest education. He was wined and dined from a young age. He was uh, raised in the way of the Egyptian culture. But the Bible tells us that when Moses became uh, old enough, he chose to suffer the affliction of, uh, with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What's that mean? That means that he rejected his Egyptian upbringing and he chose the way of his parents, the way of his people. Now, why? Because Amram and Jochebed, who were Moses' parents, got to raise him from birth to about four years old. And in those four years that they had... Uh, Moses, what did they do? They taught him and they trained him 
and they loved on him, and they developed in him a heart for God that 14 or 17 more years could not undo in Pharaoh's palace. How about Samuel? Samuel. Samuel would leave his parents' side at a young age, three, four, five years old, and he would be raised by Eli the priest in the temple. And one would look at that and say, well, surely Samuel had a better upbringing than Moses. I mean, Samuel, after all, was raised by God's man, and uh, Moses was raised by a pagan named Pharaoh. And so surely Samuel had it better than Moses, and I'm sure in some ways he did. But do you know that Eli was an awful parent? In fact, the Bible tells us that Eli's blood sons um, were so wicked that they were called sons of Belial. That was a term you gave to someone who was raised to be a fool. And that term Belial also means the devil, sons of the devil. And the Bible tells us that Eli restrained not his children. And God would rain down wrath on Eli and his children and kill them, kill them. But Samuel would grow up to live a very disciplined life. Samuel would grow up to live a life that pleased the Lord. Well, why did Samuel turn out so different than his half-brothers, if you will, Hophni and Phinehas? They were raised by pretty much the same person for the majority of their life, but Samuel went one way in a way that pleased the Lord, and these other brothers, if you will, went off in a totally different direction and ruined their life. What was the difference? The difference was Elkanah and Hannah, Samuel's parents. You see, Samuel, from birth to about four or five years old, had a mom and dad who devoutly loved God. I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning, but turn back in your own time and read 1 Samuel's, Samuel chapter 1 and 2, and you'll see that every decision they made when it came to Samuel was meant to train him to love God with all his heart. Oh, those first few years of a child's life are so tender and so Critical. This morning I propose that you can raise your children to be pure in an impure world. I propose that you as parents play an important role to raising your children to love the Lord and be faithful to Him. I struggle with what to call this day on our church calendar. When I was growing up, we would have days like this in churches I attended, and they would call it Baby Dedication Sunday. And to be honest, I cringe a little bit at that term. Because what baby dedication Sunday implies is that I will hold a baby and pray over that baby and somehow spoofle dust will fall out of the sky and because of my prayer, that child will grow up and, and turn out great. And can I tell you, that is not how it works. That is not how it works. You say, well, how does it work, Pastor? The fact that a mom and dad would stand on the platform or a mother would stand on the platform and hand the pastor their child and ask the pastor to pray over that child, what that shows is that mom and dad have an intent to raise that baby to love God. And it is on mom and dad to put in the work day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year to raise that child to love God. Here's what I have seen. I have seen this, that the closer an authority figure is to a child, the, the more that, chi- that authority figure lives like God, the greater chance that child will live like God. 
Do you understand, mom and dad, it is confusing to a child when the pastor says one thing and the Bible says one thing and they go home and see something else being lived in front of them. It confuses them. And can I tell you what most children end up doing? They end up doing what the parents do, not what the Bible says. We have to be very careful as parents to get ourselves in line with the Word of God. Here Joshua stands up in front of the entire nation of Israel. Joshua had taken them from Kadesh Barnea outside of uh, the, uh, the, the, the land of Jericho, outside of the Promised Land. He had marched them across the Jordan River. He had conquered the, um, uh, the uh, Canaan land there. He had given them places to live and helped them develop their districts and their, their, uh, their lines where their tribes would live. He had got them settled. And here he is as a man of ripe old age. He calls the nation of Israel in one more time. He is their great leader. He is their great warrior. And he's getting ready to say his goodbyes as he's nearing the end of his life. And he stands up as a manly man with a backbone. And he looks out at Israel with his family by his side. And he says this, you have to choose whether you're going to serve false gods or the one true God. He said, but I'll tell you, I can't choose for all of you, but I can choose for me and these folks up here. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What we need are men and women in this church and in this culture at large who will stand up with a backbone and say, we don't care what the world is doing. We don't care what the culture says. As for me and my house, we're going to obey the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Let's look closely at five thoughts this morning. And if you're a parent here this morning, I would encourage you to please take copious notes, write these things down, review them later, and go back and reflect on these thoughts over the years of raising your children. If you're a grandparent here today, we have some grandparents in the room, some happy grandparents. By the way, if you are a grandparent of one of the children that were prayed over today, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? Hold up, uh, Grandma and Grandpa, hold up your hand for us. Let's give them a round of applause if we could. Isn't that exciting? And I just want to say right here, thank you. Some of you don't attend church here. You have your own church. Uh, thank you for taking time to be here today. And I know you'd say, well, Pastor, I wouldn't miss it for all the world. That's my grandbaby. And um, I spoil that child rotten and all those wonderful things. But we're thankful that you made the effort to be here today. And we hope that the message will help you as well to understand the direction uh, that the parents need to go. Number one this morning, notice point number one, and please write this down, Joshua's challenge. Joshua's challenge. I got a little ahead of myself. I got ahead of my skis a little bit here, but let's dive in here. Joshua had led Israel to a place where he was getting ready to die. And uh, the journey to adulthood, and Joshua's journey to adulthood, and then marriage, and then parenthood, that trip that Joshua experienced, that trip that you experienced, um, uh, that trip that those in this room who are married with children experience, it can feel like a trip from the wilderness of adolescence. You, you're, a, you're a teenager and you think, boy, I can't wait to be married one day. I can't wait to have kids one day. And You leave the wilderness of adolescence and you step into the promised land of being a parent, being a, a spouse and a parent. Joshua challenged God's people about parenting. He threw down the gauntlet, per se, and challenged them to raise their children to serve the Lord. His challenge can be broken down this way. Notice letter A, distractions. Distractions. Write that down. Distractions. As we embark on the journey of parenting, Satan 
attempts to put distractions in your path to keep you from raising your children to serve the Lord. And uh, these distractions can be broken out like this. Uh, sins of their parents. Sins of their parents. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Look here. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. What, what is this talking about? Do you understand that these Israelites who had conquered the promised land, do you understand what they had overcome? They had overcome parents who were faithless, parents who were rebellious, parents who were sinful, parents who were flesh-led, not spirit-led, and in fact, parents who had walked through the Red Sea, parents who had drank water from a flint rock, parents who had bowed down to a golden calf while Moses is up in the mount getting the Ten Commandments, parents who had been cursed and told to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until they were all dead so that the next generation could come up and take over. Joshua is standing here and he's saying to these families, he's saying, you have to make it choice. Are you going to raise your children the way your parents raised you with the same sin struggles that they had? Look what that got your parents. It got them death in the wilderness. He said, you're going to have to look at the mistakes your parents made and not repeat them in raising your children. The Bible tells us, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his own spouse or unto his own wife and the two of them shall be one flesh. Notice, two become one. Two become one. Now, what's the leaving process look like? Can I tell you part of what the leaving process looks like? A man and woman leave mom and dad and get married. You know what they're supposed to leave behind? They're not just supposed to leave physically. They're supposed to leave the sin habits behind. Many times what we do when we get married, we end up repeating the sin habits of our parents in our marriage. Now, mom and dad, mom and dad have small children in your home. You need to look behind you at the sins of your parents. You need to fully understand what they are, and you need to work to not repeat those in the life of your children. I'm blessed to have been raised in a good, solid Christian home with a mom and dad who deeply love the Lord and love me. But can I tell you that my dad came from a very broken background. His father committed suicide when he was only eight years old. And his mother was in and out of marriages left and right and men coming through the house like a revolving door. And my dad pretty much had to raise himself. And back in those days, you could hop on a bicycle as a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy and be gone for two or three days. And no one would really even think much about it. You know, mom, I'll see you in a couple days. I'm going to go out with my buddies and you know you sleep under a bridge with a sleeping bag or sleep in a cemetery you know and play practical jokes on each other and all the stories that my dad uh, has uh, from that time but can I tell you something that my dad grew up in a very dysfunctional home and then he got saved as a 14 year old boy and he got married to my mom and my dad had a lot of things he had to look back over his shoulder and see and say I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my parents and the raising of my children and you know what I look back over my shoulder at my parents and my grandparents and I see two, uh, uh, two people in my parents who were good folks but flawed. And I don't want to bring those mistakes 
into the uh, process of raising my children. Boy, uh, what it ought to be generation after generation, we get a little bit better at raising our children to love the Lord. We get a little bit better at it. Generation after generation, we refine, we hone in, we make it better. I hope one day Matthew and April will look over their shoulder at me and their mother and see some of the mistakes we made, and they will vow in their heart not to repeat them, whether they are major mistakes or minor mistakes, sins of their parents. We also see here the distractions of the devil. We see sins of their peers. Go back and look at verse number 15. It says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Now, they were living in the Canaan land. They were living in their promised land. They were living in modern day, current day Israel. But their neighbors were the Amorites. And their neighbors were idolatrous people who bowed down to false gods and lived a pagan lifestyle. And Joshua was saying this to the people there. He said, don't follow the bad example of your parents, but also don't follow the bad example of the culture around you the lost culture around you. If there's one mistake I see a lot of parents make today, is they let the TV and YouTube raise their children. Mom and Dad, do you know what movies and TV shows your children are watching? Those of you that have small children in the room, like the families we just prayed over, well, you be very, very careful, and you make sure you do a lot of homework and study and research and you make sure you get a lot of counsel about when you give that child a cell phone. Those cell phones are destroying our youth. Destroying them. I mean it. You, you try to have... I had a neighbor tell me one time, Oh, your children are homeschooled. I bet they're socially challenged. I looked at him and said, Kids with cell phones are socially challenged. They don't know how to interact with people. And the, the privacy of the world of iniquity that a child can find himself in at a very young age and how that just messes up his life for the rest of his life. Uh, parents, be careful about what you let your kids watch on TV. I'm even talking about uh, for, from the infant-toddler stage. The, the, the social justice warriors have worked their message into shows that are for babies and children, and they're programming our children at a young age to believe something that's anti-Bible and anti-Scripture. You stand guard and watch over the education system. Should you choose to put your child in a public school, you be very, very, very invested into what they're learning and how they're learning it and what they're taught and you make sure you're involved at every turn and listen if you have your children in a christian school system you make sure you stand guard and you stand watch over everything those teachers say and what is in the curriculum because public or christian there it is your job to be the gatekeeper at home and what goes in the eye gates and ear gates of that child listen the culture at large is wicked the culture at large wants to take your child and teach him how to be either lukewarm toward God or have nothing to do with God. And if you're going to get that child to grow up and serve the Lord, you're going to have to identify the distractions and deal with them on the spot. Joshua's challenge. He said, first, 
pay attention to the distractions. The distractions of your parents. The distractions of your peers. The second part of Joshua's challenge was devotion. Devotion. Look back at verse number 15. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other sides of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Can we read the rest of the verse together? Here we go. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. What does it mean to serve the Lord? Hey, this is a very popular home decor piece. We will serve the Lord. I had it on my wall growing up as a child. My parents bought a plaque and had it on the wall. It hangs up in our house. It's prominently displayed when you come up the stairs into our living room. Right there. We will serve the Lord. What does that mean, though? Hey, Christians, it's time we quit just hanging that up as a cute decoration and we start living it. And mom and dad, it's not enough for you to serve the Lord. You have to raise your children to serve the Lord. Truthfully, if I can just speak truthfully, if if I can get pointed for a minute, is it okay if I get pointed for a minute? I'll smile while I'm being pointed. Will that help? All right? Truthfully, Christians are very good at serving the wrong things. We give lip service to serving the Lord, but our actions show that instead, what we're really serving is materialism. Have you seen the bumper sticker, He that has the most toys wins? You know, I I love things. I do. I enjoy getting new things. Every couple of years I get a new cell phone or I get a new computer or uh, maybe I'll get a new vehicle or or get uh, some new tool in my workshop. And when I get that, I I, I light up like a Christmas tree bulb. I'm real happy. But can I tell you what ends up happening after a little bit of having that thing? I go back to the same way I was prior to having it. If I was discontent before, I become discontent after. You can't worship things. You can't worship things. And if, if, if things are what matter the most to you, you're never going to be happy in life. And by the way, our children at a very young age pick up on what our little G-gods are. If we can't make it to church on a regular basis because we're going to work, if, if we don't have time to invest in our children because we're too busy accruing money to buy nice things in big bank accounts, boy, that sends the wrong message to our children that materialism is our God. Here's another one. Truthfully, many people who call themselves Christians, their, their little G God is money. Is money. The Bible tells us that money is the, the love of money, rather, is the root of all evil. Someone wisely said that money is a great servant but a horrible master. Money is a great servant but a horrible master. You either need to be the boss of your money or it'll become the boss of you, real quick. And it's not a pretty thing. Now, I do want to offer a clarifying statement from something I said last Sunday night in church. Those of you watching online at home, this is meant for you, not those in the room per se. There are many of you who get up and go to work on Monday morning, 
but you're not here right now. And you're not here right now because you feel that the protocols, the COVID-19 protocols are not up to par to protect your health. And if that's where you are and that's how you feel, I respect that. I do. Um, Many of you were very faithful to church and faithful to watch the live stream while you're not in church uh, prior to the virus. And I believe you have every intention of being faithful once this um, uh, coronavirus has subsided. And so if that's where you are and that's who you are, uh, that comment was not in any way uh, last Sunday evening aimed at you. But let me just, now that I've gotten that out of the way, let me just also add this. It's been a problem for years. And I, I, this, this is the statement I made Sunday night. All right, I'm going to make it again right here. It's been a problem since the founding of the church that come Sunday, folks, some reason, can't make it to church. But come Monday, those excuses wash away. All of a sudden, we, whatever was wrong on Sunday isn't wrong on Monday. You know? Why? Because we make money on Monday. But we don't make money on Sunday when we go to church. Be very careful, mom and dad. Your children are watching you. Your children are watching you. Joshua said, number one priority in the home, devotion. We're going to make God our God. He's going to get our reverence. Here's another one. A cause or promotion at work. We live in a generation, people my age especially, they're all about the last cause. Have you noticed that everywhere you go, people want you to donate to something? Have you noticed that? Donate to this charity and donate to that charity. Would you like to round up, you know, from 98 cents to a buck to um, donate to some cause? And you know what? It makes us feel good, doesn't it? When we walk out knowing we gave money to, the, uh, to some uh, children's uh, health network or cancer research or the American Red Cross. It makes us feel like we contributed to something. Some people, however, get a good cause and they put it above church. They put it above the Lord. And what ends up happening is they don't serve the Lord. Joshua was saying here, he's saying, I will lead my family. I will serve the Lord. I will lead my family to serve the Lord. Number one, Joshua's challenge. Number two, notice the parents' commitment. The parents' commitment. We'll move quickly here. Look at verse number 16 of Joshua chapter 24. The Bible says, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Look down at verse number 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. This generation right here that we're we're reading about, this generation right here is known as Israel's greatest generation. They would make a commitment right here with Joshua that they would not serve any god but the one true God. And you know what? They kept their commitment. Until there was a generation that arose that didn't even know who Joshua was, these parents were straight as an arrow in serving the Lord. They said, right here, right now, we're making a commitment to serve the Lord. I mentioned a few minutes ago how I'm a little uncomfortable with the term baby dedication day. Let me finish that thought. Here we call it baby day because it's a day we bring the babies in and we pray with them. You know what I think a better uh, title, not, maybe it wouldn't uh, uh, draw folks in as well, but can I tell you what maybe a better title would be? You listening? Parent Commission Day. Parent Commission Day. Listen, Mom and Dad, Pastor praying over your baby, can I just let you in a little secret here? It's not going to make your baby one ounce holier. 
Can I tell you what will make your baby an ounce holier? A whole lot more ounces holier. Is if you will commit the way these parents did. They said, we're going to lock our eyes on the Lord. And we're going to rearrange our lives to make sure God stays first. What does that look like? What does that look like on a practical uh, sense? I want to ask the parents a question this morning, whether you had your baby prayed over or not. If you have small children at home, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to dedicate yourself to raise your children to serve the Lord? Are you willing to make that commitment for the betterment of your children? This might mean some life changes. What does it mean to raise your children to love the Lord? It means faithfulness to church. And by the way, I believe that means faithfulness to church three times a week. Now some of you say, I'm not even able to be faithful to church once a week. Then start there and grow, amen? But faithfulness to church. How about a cleaned up lifestyle? If the Bible says it's wrong, live by the principle of prohibition. If the Bible says it's wrong, then I will not do it. And if the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, then live by the principle of moderation. And where the Bible doesn't say something is right or wrong, then at best... Be moderate in your choices. How about this one? A willingness to let God's Word be the final authority in your life. I shared this um, in church a few weeks back. Uh, I believe it was on a Wednesday night, and I think it bears repeating here. We don't have a children's program on Sunday evenings during our evening service, and I've had people push for me to start that or have that, and we don't, and I'm going to tell you why we don't. The reason why we don't have a program for children on Sunday night, we want them in here. Now, we have a nursery, okay? But once they get out of the nursery, we want them in here. You say, well, why? Isn't the preaching going to be over their head a little bit? Some of it will be. Most of it won't. Some of it will be. But here's why, okay? We want the children sitting next to mom and dad on the pew. And when the preacher gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, not because they're following a man, but because they're following the word of God, that child looks up the pew and sees dad sitting there shaking his head in agreement with the Bible. And when the Bible is preached and something in that home doesn't line up with scripture, mom and dad get down on their knees together and they pray and they show that child at a young age, our heart is malleable to the Bible. Our heart is submissive to God. And that child sees mom and dad being obedient to God. That child is more likely to be obedient to mom and dad. Furthermore, that child's more likely to grow up and stay obedient, obedient to the Lord. I'm talking about a mom and dad who make a commitment right here and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number three, the Lord's credentials. The Lord's credentials. Some would sit here and say, Pastor, if I'm going to make all these lifestyle changes, if I'm really going to live my life uh, uh, in a way that is different, that raises my children different against the grain of the culture and in line with the Word of God, Pastor, you need to sell me on that idea as to why. Well, let me quickly give you some thoughts as to why. Let her notice God's power to deliver. God's power to deliver. Look at verse number 17 of Joshua chapter 24. The Bible says, For the Lord our God... He it is, look here, that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight. You know what he was doing here? He was pointing back to the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. Now understand the crowd he's speaking to would have been anywhere between a newborn and 20 years old when this event took place. Have you ever stopped to think about what that must have been like? To be standing there on the banks of the Red Sea 
And to see Moses hold out his rod and this wind blow the, the, the sea apart and this land path uh, expose itself and to walk through walls of water? i got to tell you, if that was me walking through, I'd have been sticking my hand in there trying to grab the fish on the way by, right? Uh, I, I remember as a little boy, I'd ride down the road in the car with my dad and I'd stick my hand out the window. And just let, kind of cut the wind in half. You know what I mean? How many of you did that? Kids today aren't allowed to do that, right? They don't even let the window come down far enough to do that. Safety first. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'd, I'd hang my hand out the window and I'd have fun. I'd do my hand up and down. And, you know, I'd turn my hand into a, a, a finger gun and I'd try to shoot objects on the way by with my hand out the window. I had an adventurous childhood there. I would have been, if I was walking through the Red Sea, I would have had my hand in the water all the way through. Just chopping it in half. I'd have been having a blast. This was a big deal, especially because when they all got across, the Egyptians got in the middle and boop, the water shut down and killed, killed the enemy. And here he is saying, let me tell you why you should serve the Lord. Because way back when you all were children, God saved you out of bondage from Egypt in a spectacular way. Now, I, w- I didn't walk through the Red Sea, but can I tell you what I did walk through? I walked away from the bondage of sin and through the blood of Christ, and I'm on my way to heaven. You know how much power it takes to forgive this wretched sinner of his sin? You know the effort it takes to forgive me of all my unrighteousness? If he has the power to save my sorry, pathetic soul from hell, he has the power to protect my children. He's earned the right for me to serve him with my life and to raise my children to do so. Let her be notice God's preservation of his people. It wasn't just enough that God parted the Red Sea. God worked to preserve these people. Look at verse 17. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out uh, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sights and preserved us in all the way wherein we went. Look there. Preserved us in all the way wherein we went in among the, all the people uh, uh, through whom we passed. What he's saying here is everywhere we went, the Lord provided. The Lord's Provision was for enough. Did you know that as they walked through the desert there, God put a cloud over the top of them to provide them uh, protection from the beating down sun in the desert by day. And at nighttime, He lit that cloud on fire and turned it into a heating system to keep them warm in the evening. The first ever climate control system. Found right there in the Bible. Did you know that God dropped food right out of heaven? They'd just have to go in the morning and pick it up. And they'd be fed right there. Did you know that for 40 years, their clothes grew with them and were never tattered or torn or or threadbare? Uh, Did you know that their shoes or sandals never fell apart? God provided again and again and again and again. And you know what? They weren't rich. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have the best of the best. But you know what? They had what they needed to get by. Matthew 6.33, the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, these provisions, shall be added unto you. You say, well, Pastor, if I go and make the changes that you're suggesting, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Maybe it's time to reevaluate your life structure as a whole and live a more simple life and give your family an opportunity to love the Lord their God with all their heart. What you'll find is that God will provide. Let her see, notice God's punishment of the wicked. 
What are the Lord's credentials? Well, He uh, was uh, kind enough to save us. He's been kind enough to provide for us. Look at verse number 18. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land thereof. We will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. You know, a lot of uh, uh, parents uh, are not willing to fight the good fight because they don't know if God's powerful enough to protect them and to preserve them. And I would just say this, God is powerful enough to provide for you and He's also powerful enough to punish the wicked. How many of you here, I'm just going to ask a question this morning for personal testimony. How many of you here have ever strayed away from God and experienced His hand of punishment in your life? Would you hold up your hand for me if you've ever experienced that? Hey, don't, don't raise your children to have to go through that. I've shared this before, but, you know, I, when I've had to punish my children, uh, they sometimes looked at me and said, well, Dad, who punishes you when you do wrong? And I say, God punishes me when I do wrong. Well, how? I don't see a paddle come out of the sky and spank you. I say, it's a good thing because I go flying off in the universe. <laughs> right? Oh, there he goes. <laughs> he really crossed the line, didn't he? I've had to explain to my children that one day mom and dad won't be there to look over their shoulder and make sure they behave. But God will always be there to look over their shoulder. And I sure don't want my children to have to suffer the punishment of the Lord because they're living a lifestyle that's wicked. Boy, mom and dad, when they're young and tender, teach them the Bible, sing them Bible songs and stealing them biblical principles. Grandma and Grandpa, when you have them home, and they, you bounce them on your knee, boy, don't just give them candy and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Teach them the Word of God and love on those grandbabies. Punishment of the wicked. What are the Lord's credentials? Well, He, he is so good. He is so good to us. He, has earned our, he ought to have earned our loyalty. Let's not have split loyalty. Number four, notice Joshua's caution. Joshua's caution. We see a little bit um, of a back and forth between Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua says, choose whom ye will serve. What do the people respond? They say, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you better, if not, God will punish you. (laughs) Joshua worked to caution God's people against two big mistakes. What are the two big mistakes? Letter A, notice, don't forsake God. Don't forsake God. Look at verse number 20. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt. Can we look at that verse again? Moms and dads in the room. By the way, if you're not a mom and dad, you're just a single man or woman in the room today, can you look at verse 20 as well and make the application in your own life? He says, if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods then he will turn and do you hurt. Over the years of my church attendance, I've seen a whole lot of families who get distracted with other activities. And by the way, these activities are not necessarily bad. Having your children in karate or ballet or gymnastics or football or basketball, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. Well, what happens is we elevate them above church and the Lord. And what we're teaching our children is that our leisure is more important than our worship. 
we're forsaking the Lord and what we're doing is we're bringing down the hand of God's punishment on our family. Joshua said, make the commitment. Make the commitment. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, every day of your child's life, teach them to serve the Lord and don't you forsake Him. Letter B, notice, don't follow strange gods. Don't follow strange gods. Look at verse number 20. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. I won't, um, uh, I won't uh, elaborate much here. I preached a sermon on a Sunday evening. I think it was three or four weeks ago. It's on YouTube. And it had to do with Christian idolatry. You know that Christians struggle with idolatry. I'm not talking about bowing down to some stone statue in your closet where you have some sort of, you know, um, uh, shrine built up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Christians who are covetous with their life and they take things that are not God and they give their devotion and attention and reverence there. Oh, mom and dad, please, 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 please teach your children that we reverence God above all else. And we're not going to follow strange gods in this room. Number five, and lastly, notice Israel's commemoration. Let's go back to Joshua 24, and let's look at verse number 25, if we would. Let's finish out the sermon here. The Bible says, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem, And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Look here. And took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. Today you were handed a piece of paper with some fancy language and a blue or pink New Testament. You know, those rocks that they set up that day, they were meant to memorialize or commemorate the people's decision to dedicate themselves to serve the Lord, and to lead their children to serve the Lord. For years, watch this now, they had a pile of rocks. I want you to picture this. There where they met in Shechem, they had a big pile of rocks that they had stacked up. Boulders and other rocks on top of it. And for a couple of generations, parents would walk out there with their children. Their children would probably climb on top of the rocks. And I imagine a child would say, Hey, what's that plaque down there say, Mom and Dad? Hey, what, does the, what do these rocks mean? And the Mom and Dad would look at the child and they would say, Those rocks were put here during a ceremony with Joshua where the moms and dads of this country made a commitment to put their eyes on the Lord and say, single-minded, uh, 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 rather, uh, to narrowly follow Him and Him alone. And son, when you see these rocks, young lady, when you see these rocks, those rocks are meant to be a commitment between us and God. Now, mom and dad in the room today, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to get with your spouse, whether you had children prayed over it or not. And I want you to make a commitment to prioritize God in your home, make him number one.
that the Bible will be the manuscript that leads the way. That little New Testament you received, put that somewhere where you can keep it. And each time you look down and see it, you remember the commitment you made. Like Joshua, that you would serve the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I think back to Noah. Noah was the only godly man in the world. Oh, I believe Methuselah and Lamech were godly as well. But Noah and his family were the only godly people in the world. The Bible says in Genesis 6, verse 5, that the imagination of every man was only evil continually. A wicked, perverse world. But they raised their three boys. Noah and Mrs. Noah raised their three boys to love God. Mom and Dad, are you going to make the commitment to raise your children? I'll just say this before I pray and we stand for our invitation. The closer I get to God as a Christian man, the more I find myself in contradiction with the culture at large. I, come le- I become less concerned about things that are part of the culture. I've even found my passion for sports slipping in the last few years. There's nothing wrong with sports. Having a sports team that you cheer for. I still have sports teams I cheer for, but I'm finding myself to be less and less and less passionate about that as I grow closer to the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What we need are some moms and dads who will just say, forget the culture. I'm going to raise my children to love Christ.